This week, we're going to dive into DBT, which is essentially the what I've been calling the React of data or React of SQL, the first successful SQL framework to arise and probably the dominant one for a long time until whatever else replaces it, it comes along. And one of the best explainers of this to people who are probably listening is Laurie Voss. I briefly, briefly overlapped with Laurie at Netlify. Uh, he is the former co-founder of NPM and basically made or created his own job at Netlify by proposing that he become a data guy. And this is a big deal for someone who's traditionally a web developer, uh, suddenly pivoting and saying data is the future. And um, I think he's definitely helped the data transformation in Netlify become a thing and, and along the way brought along myself and a bunch of other former web developers into the data world. And I think this is one of those explanations that really connect for me. Uh, I wanted to maybe shift a little bit into sort of how the industry is changing before we move on to how you have seen data cultures being built and data trusts being undermined and all those things. Can you talk a little bit about how you see the industry has changed in the past few years? Yeah, um, I wrote a, a blog post about this recently. I think it's probably the thing that spurred you to invite me to this podcast in the first place. Correct. <laughs> Which is about uh, nine months ago, I was introduced to DBT. And uh, DBT has been around for a while now, uh, I think five or six years, but it was new to me nine months ago. And it definitely seems to be exponentially gaining in momentum at the moment. I hear more and more people using it and see more and more stuff built on top of it. And the analogy that I made in the blog post is as a web developer, it felt kind of like Rails in 2006. Like Ruby on Rails very fundamentally changed how web development was done. Because web development prior to that was everybody has sort of like figured out some architecture for their website and it works okay. But it means that every time you hire someone to a new to a company, you have to teach them your architecture, right? And it would take them a couple of weeks, or if it was complicated, it would take them a couple of months to figure out your architecture and become productive. And Ruby on Rails changed that. Ruby on Rails was you hire someone and you say, well, it's a Rails app. And on day one, they're productive. They know how to change Rails apps. They know how to configure them. They know how to write the HTML and the CSS and every other thing. And that, you know taking the time to productivity for a new hire from three months to one month times a million developers is a gigantic amount of productivity that you have unlocked, right? The, the economic impact of that is huge. And DBT feels very similar. It's not doing anything that we weren't doing before. It's not doing anything that you couldn't do if you were rolling your own, but it is a standard and it works very well and it like handles the edge cases and it's got all of the complexities accounted for. So you can start with DBT and be pretty confident that you're not going to run into something that DBT can't do. And it also means that you can hire people who already know DBT. We've done it at Netlify. We've hired people with experience in DBT and they were productive on day one. They were like, cool, I see that you've got this model. It's got a bug. I've committed a change. I've added some tests. We have fixed this data model. What happens on day two? Like, it's great. You know, the value of a framework is that a framework exists more than like any specific technical advantage of that framework. Yeah, I love that positioning of DBT. You know, do you have any thoughts on why this has not happened in the data space before? We have a lot of open source tools already built. Uh, we had like a huge rise in people using Spark and Hadoop and all those things for their data infrastructure a while ago, uh, maybe 10 years ago. And that's still happening in some of the companies. Like, 
What are your thoughts on why this is happening now? I think it was inevitable. I mean, the big data craze was 10 years ago. And I wrote a, I, wrote, I recently was reminded by somebody that I wrote a blog post. It was literally 10 years ago. It was like July 15th of 2011. I was like, statisticians are going to be the growth career for the next 10 years because all I see is people collecting data blindly. They're just creating data warehouses and just pouring logs into them and then doing the most simple analyses on them. They're just like counting them up. They're not doing anything more complicated than counting them up. And there's a lot of companies in 2010 like made these huge investments and then were like, what now? And they were like, well, we've sort of figured we'd be able to do some kind of analysis, but we don't know how. And it's this data is enormous. It's very difficult to do. It was inevitable that people would be trying to solve this problem. And lots of people rolled their own over and over. And, you know, programmers are programmers. So when they find themselves rolling their own, you know, at the third job in a row, that's usually when they start writing a framework. Uh, and that seems to be what DBT emerged from. So I just think it's, I think it's natural that it emerged now. I think this is how, how long it takes. This is how much iteration the industry needed to land at this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good insight. Um, I maybe want to touch on then also another thing that a lot of people talk about. And ultimately, I mean, I think what most companies want to strive for, although it remains to be defined what it literally means, uh, self-serve analytics. <laughs> what does that mean to you and how does that fit into the DPT world? Um, I have what might be a controversial opinion about self-serve analytics, which is that I don't think it's really going to work. <laughs> There are a couple of problems that make self-serve analytics difficult. What people are focusing on right now are like just the pure technical problems. Like one of the problems with self-serve analytics is that it's just hard to do, right? Like you have to have enormous amounts of data. If people are going to be exploratory about the data, then the database needs to be extremely fast, right? Like if your queries take 10 minutes, then you can't do ad hoc data exploration. Nobody but a data scientist is going to hang around for 10 minutes waiting for a query to finish. (laughs) So finishing a query is the new, it's compiling. <laughs> waiting, yes, waiting <laughs> yeah. for the build to compile. But like, even when you solve that problem, and I feel like a lot of companies have now solved that problem, you, you run into the next problem, which is, what question do I ask? What is the sensible way to ask? And also, where is it, right? Like discovery is another thing. Like if you've instrumented properly, you're going to have enormous numbers of data sources, even if you're using DBT and they're all neatly arrayed in very nicely named tables in the tables of documentation, you're going to have 100, 200, 300 tables, right? Like you have all sorts of forms of data. And unless somebody like goes through every table by name and tries to figure out what's in that table and does it answer my question, like the data team knows where the data is and it's very hard to make that data automatically discoverable. And then even if you solve that problem, and I don't think people have solved that problem, even if you solve that problem, the chances are that a self, like somebody whose job isn't data is going to run into traps. They're going to run into obvious data problems that a professional data person would avoid. Like they're going to be like, you know, the simplest one is like people who are using an average instead of a median, right? They're like, 
the average is enormously high. So we don't have to care about this. And like, no, 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 the median is two. (laughs) And that's different from an average of 10. You've just got a couple of outliers that are dragging your average up. And like, I solve that problem for stakeholders in our organization, like multiple times a week, right? Is like correcting them just on that particular point. And that's not even a particularly subtle question about data. Like there's lots of ways that somebody who doesn't spend all of their time thinking about how to present and analyze and question data is going to mislead themselves if they are self-serve. So that doesn't mean that I don't think self-serve should happen. I think one of the most productive ways that I interact with my colleagues outside of the data department is we have self-serve analytics and they are, they, you know, there's no barrier. They can go in and write their own queries and build their own dashboard and they get like 80% of the way. And then they come to me and they're like, is this right? Is, does this say what I think it says? And like some of the time I'll be like, yes. Some of the time I'll be like, no, you're being misled by this. Sorry about that. You looked at the wrong table or you misunderstood what that column was for. And sometimes it will be, you're almost there. I need to make a couple of tweaks to like, you know, fix this source of error, that kind of stuff. Like they can get a lot of the way, but I think being 100% self-serve is not a practical goal. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, Another way also I like to think about it is there are layers of self-serve and it depends on your audience, what that means. So self-serve to a very non-technical product manager, providing self-serve analytics to a non-technical product manager means one thing, and then providing self-serve analytics to a very technical backend engineer that wants to answer some question because he's deciding how to architect their API or something like that mm-hmm. are two very different things. Mm-hmm. And this touches a little bit on sort of who are your stakeholders as a data team, mm-hmm. I think. I agree. But it sounds like you have already built sort of some sort of self-serve analytics and it depends on people knowing SQL. Is that right? We have a couple of tools. We have a bunch of dashboards. We use mode and we have a bunch of dashboards in mode where if you have a question, you know, if you have one of the set of questions that the exploration tools for these visualizations we've already built can answer, then you can completely self-serve using just point and click. If that doesn't work for you, mode will let you write your own SQL. We have recently adopted a new tool called Transform, whose whole uh, raison d'etre is to be a source of consistently defined metrics across the business. So you give it a metric and then it gives you quite expressive ways of slicing and dicing that metric, filtering it and uh, resorting it and stuff like that. So we believe our, our goal is to have most of our metrics be in transform and have people be able to examine them there and be confident that that data is correct. Uh, and that those metrics mean what they that they think it means, which I think is going to lead us naturally to the next part of our conversation. And mode is going to become more about, you know, ad hoc analysis, like one-off reports, you know, very detailed explorations of specific questions, not, you know, everyday metrics. Yeah, exciting, exciting times. You're touching on something that I definitely want to ask a little bit more about, which is what is your stack over at Netlify? So we'll touch on that later in the episode. Mm-hmm. I think I want to now, because we've started talking a little bit about how, you know, how you've solved some challenges, I guess both at Netlify, but also how you view the industry. Can you share a little bit just with us, how do you use data at Netlify? We use it all over the place. 
every department is going to be using it differently. Netlify is obviously a web host for other people's websites. So one of the things I should make very clear from the outset is that we do not use our customers' data, right? Our customers have visitors, our customers have users, and they're not our users. They're not our visitors. That's not our data. We do not use that. What we use is our own data, people using the Netlify app uh, to do things or the CLI. And it informs every part of the company. We use data analysis that comes out of support tickets to inform engineering about looming problems or to inform product. Like This is a major pain point that we need to address. Obviously, there's lots of traditional uses of data within sales and marketing. Marketing wants to find, you know, audiences who look like this, people who use this feature. You know, how do we decide what to say to our users when in their user journey to, you know, make sure that they're having a good time and getting ramped into the products correctly? Sales wants to know users who are very heavy users are growing very fast. They want to have a conversation with them about enterprise plans. And obviously, sort of at the core of everything is how the product team uses data. And the product team uses the data the way that product managers always do. We're looking at, you know, okay, we've got this feature. How often is this feature used? Who is using this feature? What do they look like? Does this feature correlate with conversion? Does this feature frustrate people? Do they churn if they were relying on this feature? You know, one of the things that data can't do is tell you what to build next. It can't say, Users would really love this feature. It can only tell you stuff about things that you're already doing and that things that your users are already using. So it's important not to... I think there's a key distinction between what I'd say is data-driven and data-led. Data-driven is great. Data-led can send you down rabbit holes of like endless optimization when you know some creativity was what was being called for. That's a really good distinction. It's so important to recognize that life stages of companies being data-led matters it matters so much which life stage of your company you are and which life stage even specifically a particular feature or a team is on is it a fundamental part of your product that's been around for a really long time and you know how it should perform or is it something that you're experimenting with Mm -hmm. the thing i particularly like about the discussion is this general wisdom that Self-serve analytics is probably not going to work. That's something that most people arrive at. You know, the typical data team comes in, they want to deliver data, and then the demand for data gets overwhelming. Therefore, they start democratizing data by building dashboards and then giving it over to people and saying, here, you go do your analytics. You know, we set it up all for you. We cleaned up all the data. We created nice definitions. Surely you know what to do next, right? Uh, And the answer is uh, no, because a lot of people aren't just not data trained. So um, what data, what Laurie has has set up at Nellify is really uh, an 80% solution where you try to prototype, you, you get things right, but then uh, you make it really easy to talk to the data expert uh, to get the right answer. And I think that is a reasonable, insane approach that doesn't quite have a name yet, but um, it's correct. 